0: Welcome. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a serious XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say. And so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews are with book authors book club with michael smirconish is now in session let me describe for you the type of republican candidate for president for whom i could cast my ballot i'm thinking of an individual who possesses these characteristics it would be important to me that this person would have a strong bipartisan streak i would like it if this individual had a, a history of being supportive of tax cuts It would be a plus if this man or woman possessed the forethought to have opposed the Iraq invasion. I would like it if this individual was willing to oppose an effort to deny public service to illegal immigrants, including education to children. I would think it to be a plus if they were equally reverential of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. In fact, I have in mind an individual who once in announcing his candidacy said, we may not get every vote, but we're going to make it unambiguously clear that we want to represent the whole American family and that no one will be left behind, that no one will be turned away. Oh, and one more thing. The person that I have in mind would be utterly incapable of launching a personal attack. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Michael, such a candidate could probably not survive in the current incarnation of the GOP. No party that has, you know, Donald Trump, quote. I like people who weren't captured or Ben Carson, quote, I would not advocate that we put a Muslim in charge of the nation or even Carly Fiorina. No party that would have that triumvirate as its leaders would be receptive to such a nuanced candidate like you are describing. And it's true that mine is a Hollywood creation. More literally, a Melrose creation, one neighborhood over. I have in mind Jack Kemp, and I am just elated that Morton Kondracki and Fred Barnes, maybe I should say Morton, Morton Kondracki and Fred Barnes have just written an overdue book. It's titled Jack Kemp, the Bleeding Heart Conservative Who Changed America. This is Morton Kondracki. Morton, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, Michael, thank you very much for having me, and I totally, agree with, I totally agree with your candidate. <laughs>
0: hey, can I, can I just say, for all the years that I, I just, uh, in my own Barca lounger, would, would echo uh, <laughs> McLaughlin saying your name with that <laughs> that personal affectation. I love it.
1: <laughs> I, I, that's going to be on my headstone, you know. It's just going to say, and when people, you
0: When you walk around and people recognize you, do they greet you that way? I would have to think they do.
1: Yeah they do. Yeah they do. Some 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 do. Yeah. yeah. George W. Bush used to do that and uh so and I, I, for for the book I went uh and the the uh, Kemp oral history project I went down to see Jim Baker uh and uh he said morton <laughs> <laughs> you know it
0: brings to mind and i'll get off it in in a moment but such a devotee of i have i been of of that show for a long long time that when a friend of mine celebrated a milestone birthday years ago his wife hired a videographer to uh, help some of his friends create a tribute that would roll at the birthday party. And we each played a member of the McLaughlin group. But I don't know, Mort, I don't know if I got you or if I got somebody else, but it's nice to have you here. Hey, <laughs> I get so I get why Barnes wrote the book. Why did you want to write the book?
1: Uh, so I, I it, actually, it it started out sort of being my, my book and I and I enlisted Fred because Fred, for, actually, well, here's how it all started. So uh, when I retired from uh, regular column writing and blondes replaced me on Fox News, right. uh, all of a sudden the the, uh, the Jack Kemp Foundation uh, called me up and said, would I like to do an oral history of Jack Kemp's life? And I said, wow, yes. So I interviewed 100 football players and congressmen and staff members and family and friends and stuff like that. And then I realized somewhere along the way that nobody had ever written a biography about him. Uh, and, and then his papers are all at the Library of Congress. So I spent uh, three academic years at the Library of Congress uh, doing the research. And uh, so th- th- after this was all underway, uh, uh, Fred, uh, I, I, I enlisted Fred because um, some of the best writing that I encountered doing the research— for the book was written by Fred uh, for the, the New Republic, for the Baltimore Sun. So that's how Fred got involved.
0: Let's not take for granted. I, I had the privilege, and I guess I should put my cards on the table. I had the privilege of working for Jack Kemp at HUD for a period of two years, and I'm a big fan. But let's not take for granted that, that people are f- uh, familiar with, with the figure we are discussing. Who was Jack Kemp? Give me the Note version of the bio.
1: Okay, the bio is uh, grew up in LA, uh always wanted to be a football player, went to Occidental College, had a very mediocre uh academic career but was a was a star football player for a small college. Never thought, you know, nobody ever thought he would be in the NFL. He was cut by five teams uh in in 3 years. Never gave up. Along came the AFL, the American Football League was a star quarterback for the San Diego Chargers and then the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he, he was involved in politics all the way, was, became a self-taught intellectual, um, got elected to Congress in 1970, uh, served. Uh, then, then, of course, his big contribution was to be the leading advocate of supply-side economics, what became Reaganomics. Uh, he convinced the Republican Party to adopt it. He uh, he convinced Ronald Reagan to adopt it. Uh, when Ronald Reagan put through, uh, cut taxes from 70 percent, the top rate, from 70 percent to 50 percent, and then down to 28 percent with tax reform in 1986, uh, the economy boomed after the uh, the terrible uh, malaise years of the 1970s. Uh, then he ran for president in 1988; uh, didn't what he finished fourth basically? Um, uh, then he ran for president, vice vice president in 1996. And uh that was the end of his political career. I guess I'm, I guess that's a full summary of 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 his life and he died in two thousand nine.
0: Yeah. I was surprised to to learn from the book. I, I knew of, of the, the Reagan esque qualities of Kemp and the uh the well, I mean they they actually tangled and you get into this in the book during the course of the, the eight Reagan years, but I did not realize that Jack Kemp in nineteen sixty seven interned for Governor Ronald Reagan in his communications office in the off season that's just so fascinating on several different
1: levels yeah, so that so that indicates that he was getting involved in politics. I mean, it, it was it, he was the Buffalo Bills called him the senator uh, because he was always talking politics and was reading uh, uh, the Wall Street Journal and and uh, reading you know reading economics books tomes in fact that he would carry along on the plane. Uh, so he was really involved in politics, and Herb Klein, who was the uh, editor of the San Diego Union, is the one who got him that, that job with, with Reagan. So he went way back with Reagan.
0: Did Kemp Roth ever get passed, or it was some Reagan-esque incarnation of Kemp Roth?
1: Uh, it, was, uh, it never got passed. It very nearly passed um, uh, in the form of a, of a Sam Nunn amendment to some bill that I can't even remember in, in uh, 1978, I believe. But it took Reagan to push it through.
0: So Ronald Reagan comes into office. Jack Kemp is a is a prominent member of Congress, but they had disagreements behind closed doors over different things. And then, of course, Stockman, this I hope people will remember, David Stockman did that interview with The Atlantic Monthly and kind yep. of turned the world upside down.
1: Right. So uh, David Stockman labeled this uh, nothing but trickle-down economics, uh, and was, Stockman was always fighting against tax cuts uh he he was a budget budget maniac uh budget balancing maniac and he would he wanted to raise taxes all the time and undo the 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 Kemp uh the Kemp Roth bill uh and and he actually induced uh Reagan to raise taxes a number of times and every time he did it uh Kemp was against it and uh so Kemp and uh, and, and Reagan had uh you know had Set And he got yelled at in the White House and, you know, leaked on by uh, by, you know, members of the White House staff. It was pretty nasty. So it was
0: in 1980 that George Herbert Walker Bush, when using the words voodoo economics, is running against Ronald Reagan. He's making a supply side reference, maybe not to Kemp per se, but to Laffer, Waniski and that whole school of thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um I mean the Bush the the Bush people say that it wasn't actually the tax cuts that they were calling voodoo economics but the whole thing that you could increase defense spending and cut taxes and still balance the budget and they call that voodoo economics but it's got applied basically to the tax cuts.
0: And yet after George Herbert Walker Bush is elected president it's to Kemp he turns to be his HUD secretary.
1: Right. Um yeah, he look. He he needed somebody to be an urban. He didn't he didn't want him to be vice president, so he chose Dan Quayle, who would be to him what he was to Reagan. Um, then, so he rejected Kemp for that job, but he wanted him because he represented this uh, upbeat, growth-oriented, uh, pro-city uh, uh, outreach to blacks and Hispanics kind of guy, uh, in in the cabinet, he put him in HUD and then promptly did his best to ignore him, actually. Even,
0: even, though, even though, and I had a front row seat for this, even though Kemp was doing his best to try some innovative approaches, very inclusionary approaches to turn the tide of what had been happening in public housing. I'm thinking of the uh, efforts toward tenant management, the efforts toward even privatization of some public housing units across the country.
1: Right, in enterprise zones too, and and you know when he was resi- well, you know this uh, f- uh, from having been there that uh, Dick Darman was against him all the way. Uh, Bush had other things to do. He was really interested in foreign policy more than domestic. Uh, he got thwarted in Congress by Barbara Mikulski, who was who, who wanted uh, the, who was the, the appropriator involved, who really wanted to fund more public housing. So it was a frustrating time for Kemp.
0: Mort, there are so many anecdotes in the book where, as I was reading them, I said to myself, see, this could never play today. For example, 1984, he opposes California Prop 187. Will you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, he was always in favor. He was in favor of border control, but he— but. And you have to have border control. But he was in favor when when uh, illegal immigrants had clean records of giving them a path to citizenship uh, at the end of the day. I mean, an earned path to citizenship. And Prop 187, which was uh, Pete Wilson's effort to use Hispanics in much the way that uh, that Donald Trump and other Republicans are doing now, uh, uh uh or illegal immigrants particularly but it it bled over into the whole mexican american community uh to get reelected in uh uh, uh Kemp opposed him in an article in the Wall Street Journal and got nothing but uh, but uh, dumped on for it, uh, along with Bill Bennett. He got Bill Bennett to co-sign it with him. And uh, it, it, people were returning copies of Bill Bennett's book, uh, The Book of Virtues, uh, saying, uh, you know, you're a traitor. And, the, and Kemp was regarded as a traitor for it.
0: I, I'm I'm reading the passage about Kemp going to Harlem, visiting Sylvia's restaurant. Charlie Rangel is in the house. And Jack Kemp says, my goal for America is that by the end of the century, 50 percent of all African-Americans are voting Democratic and 50 percent Republican. I guess Rand Paul said a little bit of that at the outset of his campaign, although I don't think he's made a trip to Sylvia's. But that's the kind of a a story about Jack Kemp that I see so desperately lacking in the GOP today.
1: Yeah, outreach. Uh, You know, the the candidates... Mainly the candidates. I think that there are that Jeb Bush and uh, John Kasich, and to some extent Chris Christie, uh, and uh, to some extent Marco Rubio, are trying to reach out, but the but the base. Uh, winning primary voters, you know the the, primary, the the Republicans have have reduced themselves to being a party of old white Southerners, uh, and uh, you can't win an election that way when the when the population is increasingly minority and young. There's an anecdote. We're
0: not giving it all away for free, by the way. This is Morton What <laughs> <You're not. laughs> one, one half of the duo with Fred Barnes, who have written a long overdue book, Jack Kemp. The Bleeding Heart Conservative Who Changed America. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a houseful of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. This is Morton <laughs> Kondracki. <You're not. laughs> what one half of the duo with Fred Barnes, who have written a long overdue book, Jack Kemp, the bleeding heart conservative who changed America, but set the stage for him having been tapped as Dole's running mate in the 96 cycle. And here comes the debate with Al Gore and the instruction that Kemp is given by Scott Reed, his then uh, well, actually, I, I say his chief of staff. He'd been his chief of staff at HUD, but he was now running the Dole campaign.
1: Right. So uh so, so that when when Dole had gotten the nomina- uh got uh, locked up the nomination, they polled about you know five or six different uh potential vice presidential running mates and none of them excited anybody. Uh so Dole turns to and uh, Dole, Dole and Kemp had been uh, had been rivals and uh, Dole never liked supply-side economics, and they and they they told all kinds of nasty jokes about each other and stuff like that. And it was it was a longstanding feud, but nonetheless, Dole knew that he needed somebody who would excite the party. So he says to to Scott Reed, uh, "What about the quarterback?" And uh, so Reed, uh, they went through a process of vetting, and Kemp became the vice presidential candidate. and Kemp, But Kemp turned it down at first on the grounds that he could not be an attack dog. And Dole assured him that he would not have to be an attack dog. Uh, now, Bill Clinton deserved to have somebody attack his ethical record, not on personal grounds necessarily, but because, you know, they were collecting Campaign contributions to the Democratic National Committee from from foreign entities in Indonesia and China and other places like that, which which was illegal. So and and everybody knew it; it was out in the papers. So when the first question in the vice presidential debate with with uh, Al Gore is "What about what about Clinton's ethics?" Uh, instead of saying "Yeah, here's chapter and verse," uh, and you know people ought to take this into account, Kemp says. Bob Dole and I have decided not to go low road. Uh, we regard our, our uh, adversaries, as, uh, our opponents as adversaries, not enemies, and we're not, we're not going there. And it just deflated the entire uh, Dole campaign operation. It was, it, he whiffed uh, on that because he could never go negative.
0: He says to Jim Lair, "Bob Dolan, myself, do not see Bill Clinton and Al Gore as our enemy. We see them as our opponents." And then Mort, he proceeds to speak of the need for civility, respect, decency, and integrity.
1: Yeah, I so mean, so how, how does
0: how does that guy play today in a world where the front runner regards his opponents as losers and stupid and sweating and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've said uh, that uh, that. Kemp is the anti-Trump, or anti-Trump uh, is the anti-Kemp. I mean, the exact diametric opposite on immigration, on civility, um, on free trade, all that stuff. I mean, uh, Kemp would, uh, I'm sure, detest. Trumpism, and uh, uh, so you know what what Kemp was all about. What the basic problem in America right now? It's a lot like the nineteen seventies. Uh, you know, stagnant incomes, glacial growth, um, and when when Kemp always said that when the economy is stagnant. Divisions within the society are greater, and politicians exploit them. Demagogues try to divide rich from poor, black from white, uh, rust belt from, from sun belt, etc., etc., etc. That's what's going on right now. And what you need is growth. And Kemp was always about, uh, uh, he wanted to shake things up. Everybody wants to shake things up in Washington because things are so bad. Uh, But Kemp shook things up with with breakthrough ideas, Uh, namely Kemp Roth, then then tax reform, and and with a growth uh, agenda. Now, Trump has come through with a uh, a, a pretty good tax reform. That, that's that's one thing that he's done right. The rest of it's the rest of it's a disaster.
0: We have written this book because we believe that America is in trouble, perhaps more deeply in trouble than in the seventies, and we think that Jack Kemp's spirit and his policy ideas could again help the country turn things around. So, who then is the rightful heir to the Kemp mantle?
1: Well, well, Paul Ryan is the is the direct descendant because Paul Ryan uh you know the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee the vice presidential candidate last time uh actually worked for Kemp and it was Paul Ryan who wrote the brief for Kemp on prop 187 by the way and 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 Ryan has always said uh, immigration uh, immigration reform is a growth strategy because we need we need those people. Um, so uh, so he's the natural heir. But of those running now, I think Jeb Bush and John Kasich are the two leading uh, uh, Kempites. Could Jack Kemp today?
0: And look, let, let's. He, he you said he finished uh, a third or fourth when he when he took his shot in '88. Could Jack Kemp today sustain what's required? Of a candidate, I mean, ideologically speaking, in the Republican primary or caucus process,
1: he would have a difficult time. I mean, look, the, the the party, the the part, the the base of the party, the hardcore of the party, and the radio talk show hosts who whipped them up, and Ted Cruz and the Tea Party and all of that uh, are so strong in the party that it's it's very difficult to see how Kemp would get through. But. He would be. He would really make the case. I mean, he would make it energetically. uh... I think the the problem with Jeb Bush is that it, while he's got a he's got a good um, set of arguments and a good attitude, he's not he's not he doesn't have Kemp's kind of energy. Now Kasich could, if he can break through. Jack Kemp would break through. I mean, in those debates, you would hear from Jack Kemp. If you would hear from Jack Kemp at length. By the way, because he couldn't make a short speech.
0: Yeah, had, I mean, had some flaws, and discipline was one of them. Uh, impatience was another, and long windedness. I mean, I would say long windedness was a flaws in a flaw in the eyes of the advance men in front of the crowds before him, he spoke. You know, they they ate it up. I watched him do it many times.
1: Yep, yep, yep. He, uh, um, but there there was. <laughs> There was this mayor in Iowa who, uh, who when Kemp finished, said, uh, now, Congressman, uh, th- those were three of the best speeches I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: great. Hey, Mort, I think you uh, you did a mitzvah here. This guy deserved a book like this.
1: Thank you. I, yeah, I really,
0: it. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing you on CNN
1: as well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Fred will be, will be with me.
0: Well, congratulations to the two of you. I hope people will buy and read the book. OK, thank you, Michael, so much. I really appreciate it. That is Morton Kondracki, ladies and gentlemen, one half of the, uh, the writing duo, along with Fred Barnes, who, who wrote this, uh, this book uh, about Jack Kemp, the bleeding heart conservative who changed. Now, that's, that's a Republican for whom I could vote for president, not Mort. I'm thinking of Jack. That was so enjoyable. Jack is... Thank you, TC. uh, You could tell I I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Both of you thoroughly enjoyed it, the author and the interviewer. Well, I think that they so well captured Jack Kemp. I mean, can you you imagine today a Republican candidate with those characteristics? I mean, absolutely emphatic, staked his reputation on the need for tax cuts. Kemp Roth, if people remember, was a 10% across-the-board tax cut. Never got it perfectly implemented, but Reagan... Reagan took a lot of the principles inherent in Kemp Roth. But here's a guy who who said, no, I'm not for an effort to deny public services to illegal immigrants, including education to children. Frankly, Rick Perry did did likewise. He was equally reverential, as I remember, had busts. Don't hold me to this, but had busts of both Lincoln and MLK in his office. When he was selected by Dole and he was, and he was running, it, it, it was Kemp who said, we're going into every neighborhood. And Kemp tried. Was he successful? He wasn't. When they said to him, Scott Reed flew into Florida, I think it was St. Petersburg, uh, and met with Kemp the night before the, the debate with Gore and said, we need you to go after Al Gore. We think that ethics, Reed, who I know well, Scott Reed, who today runs the Chamber of Commerce. Said to Kemp, we think that the first question that is going to come up. Jim Lehrer is the moderator; is going to be about ethics, and you got to hammer Clinton. Whitewater was still was was then out in the uh, uh, in the public domain, and and he, he didn't. Instead, he said, uh, you know, these guys are are our opponents; they're not our enemy. Can you imagine that being said today? See, I'd like to think it'd be said today, and it would be responded to. My frustration is that there are some Kemp-like candidates. On that stage but they're not being rewarded this isn't working this type of a Republican today and this may change between now and the end of this nomination process is not saleable Book club with Michael Smirkanish new episodes drop Mondays Wednesdays and Fridays listen to the Michael Smirkanish program weekdays on Sirius XM's Potus channel 124 and anytime on the sxmf app
1: connect with Michael on Facebook Twitter YouTube and at smirkanish.com.